If you'd have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Several weeks ago, as I was thinking about this sermon series marked by the gospel, I heard a sermon by a gentleman named C.J. Mahaney, which a few of you may be familiar with that name. And when I heard that sermon, I thought that's going to be a sermon in this series. And so I'm not going to try to quote him, but I'm giving him credit for the sermon. Um, and I thought much of what he said would be helpful for us to hear as well. So thank you, Lord, and thank you, C.J. Mahaney, for putting some of these thoughts together that I hope will also be beneficial for us. I can remember the first time I went to a chiropractor. I felt like my spine would fit very nicely against a piece from a jigsaw puzzle. And so I crawled into a chiropractor's office, and the first thing they do is they want to take some x-rays, and then they get you in this little waiting room, and the doctor came in and said, Mr. Phillips, you need an adjustment. And of course, I knew that already, the pain that I was in, and so I don't know if you've ever been to a chiropractor, but it's a little bit of an unusual experience, especially your first time. They sort of get you, they, they twist your limbs in some unusual positions, not ones that are natural to you. And then the chiropractor kind of leans in on you pretty forcefully. And so he, he gets my arms and legs sort of twisted around and he gets, I guess, my skeletal system in the right spot. And then he pushes down and all of my bones begin to move suddenly. And there was a moment that I thought, I'm in worse condition now than, you know, when I walked in. And so I walked in terribly crooked and I walked out just a little less crooked. I didn't walk out straight. And you know that because if you've been to a chiropractor, it, it takes several adjustments to get your spine back to where it's supposed to be. If you're a member at Christ Community Church, or if you're becoming a member, our assumption is that each one of you need an adjustment. If you're a member, or you want to become a member, maybe you don't right now after that statement, our assumption is when you come in here, You're saying, I need an adjustment. There there are things in my life that aren't lining up as they should, and I'm asking for people to lean in on me, to, to press the weight of their life and the weight of the gospel in on my life so, so that I can measure up to the fullness of Christ, that I can walk in that straight and narrow way. And so to reinforce that, I thought about doing this this morning, that you would just turn to your neighbor to the right or left and say, I need an adjustment. But I decided against that for this reason. I did a uh, sermon series that some of you will remember called The Enemy Within. And uh, it was the title of a book, and it talked about the biggest problem is the evil in your heart. That's It's not external problems that you deal with as much as an internal condition that you have. And so just to help reinforce that, I ask you to turn to your neighbor and just look at your neighbor and say, I'm evil. 
And, you know, that didn't work out quite like I had hoped, because when I got home, this is the conversation I heard at home. Well, Paul, we were listening to your sermon. This is my son and my wife sitting together. And so as a dutiful wife, I turned to my son and I said, I'm evil. And my son, in response, said, I know. And so that wasn't exactly what I was trying to create. You know, she, I don't think, was wanting an adjustment at that very moment. But her kind son, her son, was giving her an adjustment. You know, conformity to Christ doesn't happen all at once. I don't know if you've noticed that. It takes time. It takes people, different sermons, different events, leaning in on your life. And so we're here for an adjustment. If ever there was a church in need of an adjustment, it was the church at Corinth. In fact, the primary purpose of this letter is really to for the Apostle Paul to apply some serious pressure into the life of this church to straighten out a number of different issues. And you don't need to right now, but if you just sort of flip through, you would see the titles of these different needs that the Corinthian church had. First, there were divisions. Now, it may be hard for you to believe this, but there were divisions inside of a church. And what had happened was that some members had sort of lost sight of the gospel. I mean, they they were believers, they knew about Christ, but they really lost sight of the gospel being the primary purpose of our gathering together. And when that happened, other little pet issues came in, and other people sort of worked their way in, and there were these different little camps beginning to form inside the same church, as hard as that is to believe. And people were then trying to get other people to sort of be on their side of the pet issues. And then because they lost sight of the gospel, the church was beginning to divide into these different camps. There was sexual immorality, not just in the culture, but inside the church. They had problems with lawsuits between believers. There was a misuse of the Lord's table. They had problems with worship and spiritual gifts. And so Paul's writing to give these people an adjustment. But I think probably the most difficult part for Paul was the fact that the Corinthians themselves were hostile to Paul. I mean, it's not easy to give an adjustment to somebody who wants an adjustment, who says, I have a need, can you help me out? But when you're trying to give an adjustment to somebody who doesn't want you in their life, now that's, that's difficult, and that's what Paul is running up against here. He's not running up against people who just have issues. They have issues, and one of the issues is Paul. And so you might say that the people in Corinth were at least some of them, difficult to embrace, which makes Paul's attitude and affection and attraction for the church all the more remarkable. 
The apostle is aware of the needs for adjustment. And and yet he doesn't distance himself from the church. He doesn't sort of, ah, well, you know, somebody else needs to take care of that. Instead, he walks towards these people in grace. He is coming in to, to apply some pressure, but he's coming in in a graceful way. Paul has been marked by the gospel. He understands grace. And he's coming in, and even though he's going to apply pressure in some difficult areas, he's going to do it with grace. And so I'd like for you to think about this sermon really on a number of different levels. First, and this involves some personal risk, if you're a member here, you can ask yourself this question. Do the leaders of my church exemplify what Paul exemplifies in his leadership? Specifically the pastor and the elders. So if you're a church member, we're understanding you need an adjustment. I need some adjustments. And we need to ask ourselves, are the leadership of the church, are they coming at me in the way Paul's coming at the people in Corinth? Second, if you occupy a position of leadership, you could be an elder, you could be a staff person, you could be a leader of a community group or a journey group. You could just be a leader in a ministry, a leader in the high school ministry. All those positions are positions where you must apply pressure. You must help people get straight. You must run them up against the gospel in the kindest way. And you need to ask yourself, am I exemplifying these kinds of motives that Paul, we're going to talk about, that Paul gave to the people in Corinth? And finally, just if you're a parent or even just have a real genuine Christian friendship, any, any interaction you have with somebody else who at some point in the relationship, you have to apply some pressure. You have to give an adjustment. Is your attitude toward each other one of grace? So I want to look at this in two ways here in these first few verses. How, how do we move with grace and Paul shows us several ways to the two I want to pick up is Paul recalls the divine initiative one of the ways you are going to be able to move towards people who are sometimes difficult is you recall the divine initiative and secondly you give thanks So let's look at just those two. Paul recalls the divine initiative, and you see this in two parts. You see it first in just the opening verse. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Paul opens the letter by recalling the divine initiative in his own life. Before Paul's going to apply any kind of adjustment, he's going to remember that there was a divine initiative, there was a divine adjustment on his own life before he begins to 
tinker with the lives of other people. He, he seems to, to make it a priority that, that before he makes any steps towards other people, he just is putting out in his mind in the front part, as, as I'm beginning to step towards people in grace, I need to remember that God Almighty himself stepped towards me. Someone who was opposed to the person who was going to give the adjustment. I was that person. You remember in Acts chapter 9, it says this, Saul, or Paul, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. If he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he would take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Paul was in for a divine adjustment. He was walking in opposition to God Almighty. And he understood the grace of God to chase after him and to apply a divine adjustment. Now, now why, why is that so important? Why must Paul keep his own call right out front as he's entering into this church and the problems that it has. And the reason, I think, one of the main reasons is because in leadership, or even if you've just been a Christian for a long time, one of the easiest things to do is to get too far removed from the divine initiative in your own life. And when you get too far removed from the divine initiative, you lose grace. And a religion without grace is legalism. And so Paul is trying to move in. He, understand there, he understands there's places where adjustments need to be made. But before he begins that process, he he just wants to remember again. He wants to sort of remember out loud for himself. He wants to remember out loud for the Corinthians. I remember when God Almighty came in and he made a divine adjustment in my own life. You remember just the parable that Jesus gave, how clearly he articulated the same principle. Remember when he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector going to the temple together? And you remember what happens? You have the Pharisee up front, and basically he's just saying, I'm just so glad I'm not like any of those poor saps out there. And then he he tells all the things that he's done. And then in the back of the temple you have this poor tax collector. He's just beating his breast, and he says, just have mercy. And see what the Pharisee forgot? He forgot that God, at one point in his life, was merciful to him. And when he forgot that, he lost the gospel. It just became a religion of rules and regulations. You get this right, you're in. You don't get this right, you're out. And so Paul, when he's coming in and saying, guys, you're doing this the wrong way, he wants to remind himself, 
I want to come towards these people in grace. Paul has been marked by the mercy of God. And so he's going to display that mercy in the way he comes towards the people of Corinth. Verse 2. Paul's not only reminding the people of Corinth that he has been called, he's reminding the people of Corinth that they have been called. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called. These people have been called to be saints together. When Paul uses the, the, the idea or the word calling... He's not saying that there's some general invitation and people have responded to it. What he's talking about is that there has been a divine summons on these people's lives. And that divine summons has created a response by the people in court. So Paul is reminding himself, he's reminding the people at Corinth that they have been previously acted upon by God. Now why, why is that helpful? Why is it helpful when you're going into this situation with these people in Corinth who are called... Just to to remind yourself and to remind them that they have been previously acted upon by God Almighty. And I think this is helpful, really helpful for me. When I read this and just reread this verse, this is what I heard the Apostle Paul saying to the pastor, Paul. Paul. When you sit down with another believer, some member of your congregation, I want you to keep in mind that God Almighty has previously been at work in this person's life. Long before you entered in, God Almighty has entered in. He is the one at work in the life of this person. And long after you leave, God Almighty is going to be faithful. And He is going to bring to completion His work in this person's life. Do you see how helpful it is just to have that in your mind as you go and you talk to somebody? That you say, God is at work in this person's life. It's so freeing to me to know I don't have to get it all straightened out in this one visit. It's not really up to me. At one point, if you're a member of Christ Community Church, you're going to find yourself in the pastor's office. You might be just coming by for a visit. You might be coming by for an adjustment. Some come in to give adjustments, which is always enjoyable, but needed. I mean, look, there's adjustments that are needed on both ends. But I want you to know what I'm going to be trying to think of, what I'm going to have in the first part of my mind, and what I want you to have in your the first part of your mind, 
God has previously been at work in your life. He is working on you. And it'll be so freeing to feel like you don't have to come in and be the one standard for everything that has to happen. That'll be so helpful for me and so helpful for you. So Paul is saying, I want to remember that there was a divine initiative in my own life. That helps me to go towards somebody that even if they're walking away from me, I can be graceful and merciful to that person. And that God is at work in these lives. One one of the reasons that Paul's adjustments are so effective for the church is because he had this attitude. I mean, if you've ever gotten an adjustment by somebody who wasn't really very graceful or merciful, it probably wasn't very effective either. You, you may have left feeling, I'm now in worse shape than when I started. Secondly, Paul is a person who gives thanks. If you were to begin reading this letter in chapter 1, verse 10, if that was where you just started, you didn't have the first nine verses, and you read through basically a litany of adjustments that needed to be made in the Corinthian church, and then you sort of had to guess, well, oh really, there were nine verses before that. What do you think he might have been saying in that in those nine verses? I don't think you would have anticipated Verse 4. I mean, in light of all the adjustments that need to be taking place, here is Paul right out of the gate. I give thanks to my God always. I'm just always giving thanks to God because of the grace of God that has been given to you. Isn't that that stunning that Paul starts in that spot when when he knows all of these things that he's going to have to say? Gordon Fee in his commentary writes this, It is Paul's regular habit to give thanks. Indeed, his ability to give thanks for these Christians says much about his own character. To delight in God for his working in the lives of others even in the lives of those with whom you feel compelled to disagree, is evidence of of Paul's own awareness of being the recipient of God's mercies. You see, Paul had been marked by the mercy of God. So as he turns around and now is going to have to help other people, that mercy is going to create a person who's has a high priority on thanksgiving. Now we could turn to these other places and you don't need to, but I'll just read them out to you. I just want you to note the high priority Paul places on thanksgiving in almost every one of his letters. In fact, really the only letter that he doesn't have this priority of thanksgiving is to the letter to the Galatians which is noteworthy in and of itself, that he sort of just dives right in on their problems. But listen to these other passages. Romans 1.8. First, first, I thank God 
through Jesus Christ for all of you. I mean, before I begin this big theological treatise in Romans, the very first thing I have in my mind is just to be thankful for you. Ephesians 1, 5, 15, and 16. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9. He, he, set, he forms this in the form of a question. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? It it just seems like he has this impossible task. I'm trying to thank God for all the joy that you've given me and I, I just can't, I don't have enough vocabulary to say that. And I doubt that this would be the commonly held position or, or character trait of Paul. But I think it's fair to say he, he appears to be the kind of person who's eagerly searching out any evidence of grace and he's trying to fan it into flame, the flame of thanksgiving. I mean, I don't know if you could have been around Paul as one of these early church believers and and been there very long without having felt the full force of his thanksgiving for you. Is that the picture you typically have of Paul? He's looking at these people and the very first thing he wants to say to them is, I'm just so thankful to God for His grace at work in your life and I'm going to give it to you full force. Paul offers, before he offers any criticism, he's going to create an environment of thanksgiving. There's going to be some criticism in the rest of Corinthians. But he's creating an environment where that criticism can be heard, and that's Thanksgiving. You may have seen this little cartoon, the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon. You know, it appears in the paper in these little square segments. And I thought this was particularly funny. Linus is curled up in a chair, and he's reading a book. And Lucy, his sister, sort of standing near him looking at Linus. And she says this, It's very strange. It just happens by looking at you. And Linus says, what happens? And she says, I feel, I feel a criticism coming on. (laughs) Have you ever met someone like this? Just by looking at you, my first emotion is I feel a criticism Coming on. What is your spouse more aware of 
evidence of grace or areas in need of adjustment? Is your, is your spouse from you more aware of the evidence of the grace of God in your life or more aware of the areas that they need adjustment? I'm giving you, if you're married here, an assignment to ask that question to your spouse. If you're a parent, I don't need to inform you that your children, and I'm not looking at anyone here particularly at this moment, but your children need an adjustment. You know that. You know that better than I do. But, but what is the environment that they're in? Do you search for areas of God's grace in their life? And do you fan it into flame? So that when you have to come along and you will and say you need an adjustment... Is the environment, is the air they're breathing one of thanksgiving? What would your kids say? Can you remember the last time you sat down with your son or daughter and you looked at them in the face and you just said, I am just so thankful for you. I want you to feel the full force of my thankfulness for your existence. If it's been over a week, it's been too long. If you're a friend, a member of Christ Community Church, when you look around and you you know you sort of get into the membership and you get it's kind of like a tumbler. And you just kind of knock up against each other. But the hope, hope is you're, you're sort of knocking off your sharp edges as you're knocking off somebody else's. But, but when you're looking at one another, when you're sort of evaluating church over the Sunday buffet, do, do you look at the church and you look at each other and, and are you trying to fan things into flame of God's grace? Or when you look at each other and look around, do you feel a criticism coming on? I was challenged by the, the verse in First Thessalonians. The, the question that Paul is really making a statement. How can I thank God enough This is a church that just got started. It's just trying to get its legs up underneath itself. It's got a lot more adjustments ahead than it has behind. And the apostle, the, the pastor Paul, is coming in and he, he knows that what's ahead. But he wants to create this environment and he wants to look at the people and just say, thank you for the joy that I've experienced because of your life. And so I I wish I could say your name, but I can't. 
But I, I want to look at you and what I want you to feel the full force of. And I'm not going to be able to say it enough. I think that's why Paul puts it in the question. How can I? I'm looking at you and I want you to hear me say, thank you for the joy that you have given me. Some of you I've known for a year or two. Some of you I've known for 20. Thank you. Thank you for the joy that you have been giving me because of the grace of God in your life. I've just been able to see it over and over and over again. He miraculously is intervening in your life. And I'm so thankful to you that I've had a chance to see it in your life. When we come to the table, we're trusting that coming to the table is a means of grace. A way, this sacrament in some way imparts a grace of God Almighty into your life. You clearly see it by coming to the table because He has given Him Himself for you. He has taken all of your need for adjustments, your sin, your opposition to Him, and, and He's taken that upon Himself and He's Given you his righteousness, his right standing before God. And it's a table for people who have responded to the summons of God. So if you're not in that place, I would just ask you to sit quietly and think and pray, God, I, I, I want to hear your summons on my life. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, which represented his body, and he broke it. And he said, it's, it's for you. I don't want you to forget I want you to remember that I, I'm always moving toward you in grace. And he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of a new covenant. My blood for you. Please don't forget that as I move towards you, I move in grace. If you've known that grace, I know you're coming up with limps and twisted spines and all kinds of maladies. And the answer is Jesus Christ. He is the faithful one. 
He is the one who can work in your life. He is moving into your life. Let's pray together. Lord, we take these elements, very plain, and we remember something that is extraordinary. That as we walked away from you, you you chased us down. Your summons created an environment. Your, your grace and mercy created an environment that we couldn't turn away. And so I pray, Lord, for these believers who come forward today, that you would be very near their particular place that they need adjustment. Would you come in with your hands, with your truth, and begin to straighten out their mind, their ways, their tongue, their attitudes, whatever it is, you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.